how does the leader of a top global agency that's gone from strength to strength in the half decade since they last visited this programme ensure that the founding values and purpose of the business stay front and centre even at scale? Well, the founder and CEO of AKQA is here to tell us how he and his leadership team trust to a framework of key values and brilliant people to keep the organisation focused, fit for purpose and passionate about serving its staff and clients alike. Plus, later in the programme, we're heading to Los Angeles to meet the CEO of French firm L Acoustics. He tells Monocle's US editor about the company's latest innovations in immersive sound design. This is The Entrepreneurs with me, Tom Edwards. We start today by welcoming back to Midori House, the most excellent Ajaz Ahmed, founder and CEO of AKQA. Uh, welcome back to Monocle, Ajaz. It's been, what, around half a decade or so since we last heard from you. It's been much too long, however long it's been. Um, it's a long time in agency land, a long time for creatives. How's it been treating you? What have you been getting up to? We've been busy. So we're around seven and a half thousand people now in around 50 studios and we're approaching a billion dollars in revenue. So we've doubled in size, more than doubled in size since the last time that that we met you. And that's thanks to our phenomenal teams all over the world who are innovating and pioneering across so many spheres, whether that's industrial design, or architecture, or digital design and user experience. Let's talk a bit about work. I'm always minded not to ask creative people to choose favourites, because I know it's like being asked to choose your favourite offspring, it's not fair. But there must be particular standout moments, maybe just in the last couple of years, whether that's a new initiative. I know you do some incredible innovations in the space, and people may be familiar with some of the things that you and your team have done, or whether it's a good old-fashioned campaign that just ticked all the boxes. Have you got any kind of particular things of which you're most proud since we last spoke to you here at Monocle? We've been so fortunate that we work with some of the greatest brands in the world, and we get to work in so many different dimensions across the work that we do. The work that our teams have created, so for example, MAP, our industrial design team, have designed the IBM quantum computer and the Sky Glass TV and another innovation for Google where it provides notifications to you in a much more gentle and human way. And then you look across our innovation work and how we've used technology, for example, to enable people who might have difficulty with vision to enjoy sports in an enhanced way just by using the technology. So that's action audio. The best showcase of our work is probably on akqa.com where people can make their own decision about the pieces that really resonate for them. But we're lucky. I feel like even though we're bigger than we've ever been, the work has also got better than it's ever been and usually within creative organizations there's an inverse relationship so the bigger an organization gets the work tends to get worse whereas our team's commitment and attention to the details and and love and passion for the creativity has elevated the work. It's so funny some of the leaders in this space that we've spoken to on this program just in the last few months always come back to this point is the work great 
It's, it's not it's not that complicated. Well, it, it is much more complicated than that, but they make it seem very easy to understand, which I think is to their and to your credit. We'll talk a bit about recognition and some personal recognition that's for you in a second. But in terms of being awarded, when I speak to people, particularly in the, in the ad industry, they say, look, you know, it's great getting the gongs and it's nice to have the recognition. And it's important because that's one of the markers of critical recognition of our, of, of our work. How do you look at those? Are they gongs? Are they baubles that are great to have? It's vindication for clients' faith in you and for the work that you and your colleagues are doing. Do they matter? Is it sometimes frustrating for you that maybe some of the best work of which you're most proud maybe doesn't get that recognition, but that doesn't mean that it's not maybe the favourite project that you've you've worked on. How do you kind of look at those aspects? Awards are essential in any industry, and especially when they're as competitive as the design and communication awards that we enter. And winning an award is a massive testament to the creativity and the genius of the team where their work has been selected and elevated above so many brilliant contenders. Because even to make the shortlist, it has to be worthy of of being a shortlist. And there's such an incredible volume of work produced in so many spheres that having that recognition is is incredibly important. But it can't be the, the primary motivation. The primary motivation has to be work that inspires or is of service to the audiences that we serve. And if it happens to win an award as well, then that's superb. So do you tend to look at end result? Do you trust more to what your clients tell you about, you know, sales growth and and be very sort of empirical about it, very objective about it when you're assessing whether a campaign ultimately is successful or not? The client satisfaction and the audience's delight from the work is for us the ultimate metric. So if clients are saying that the work that we produce in collaboration with the client is helping to move the needle in some way, then I think that has to that always feels great because we know that when it comes to their investment, we're delivering a return for that investment and that's always heartening. And, you know, if it's making which it always should do, a contribution beyond that in terms of inspiration or moving things forward, then that's also a wonderful recognition of something that we can be very we can be very proud of. And I think for us, because we've always said the most powerful force in the universe isn't technology, it's imagination. For us, we have a responsibility to keep pushing the limits and keep pioneering and, and keep embracing art and science on behalf of our clients and, and the audiences that we, you know, we aim to help improve their experiences. Let's talk a bit about personal growth, because I think obviously you spoke last time about your story. I think people know about it. A true entrepreneur starting, well, younger than most probably, in terms of demonstrating that entrepreneurial flair. But your personal journey just recently, it's meant that you're in a position now to do things in the philanthropic space, for example, that perhaps, I don't know, maybe you were always minded that one day you might do that, or maybe not. Tell us a bit about that. I know there's been some recent recognition for the work you do in that space. I mean, that must be... Extraordinary, thrilling, humbling. Tell us a bit more. Yeah, so I think the recognition that you're talking about was the Spears Impact Award. And that was for the work that we've been doing through the fellowship we created in August 2021 called ajars.org. And ajars means miracle in Persian. So the idea of ajars.org was 
what we call small-scale philanthropy. So there's a lot of philanthropy that's focused on systemic change. And while systemic change is, is a good thing, there's a lot of families that are missing out on absolute essentials and they have immediate needs. And so what we try to do with the jars.org is try and meet those immediate needs. So, you know, here we are in the UK, the world's fifth largest economy. For now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the, exactly. The fifth largest economy. And if you knew some of the stories of what families and children are having to endure, you'd be genuinely shocked. Mothers who dilute their milk with water so that they can feed their children. Families that are sharing bath water because they can't afford to heat it. The queues for food banks going around the block. There was one story recently about a 10-year-old child where she was given a pre-owned toy and she asked if instead of the pre-owned toy, she could have a bag of rice that she spotted in the corner to make her mum happier at home. And this is happening today. And so in our own small and humble way, we're trying to help with these immediate needs while the systems may or may not change. And so we've been very lucky with that. And I think you know, when it comes to, like with the UK, there really is a wealth of wisdom and there really is treasured knowledge. But sometimes there's a real poverty of distribution and all too often greater awareness doesn't equal greater understanding. And I think unless we know some of the stories that people are experiencing and the reality things won't change. And the way we look at it is I stand on the shoulders of giants, of course, because my parents, when we were growing up, they really had very little to give, but they gave absolutely everything they could. And the way we look at it is that everyone is a trustee, a trustee for humanity and a trustee for our planet. And I think that's how we should really think about it. But if I think of anything, you know, we talk about awards and recognition, that award what it's done is it's encouraged me to redouble our efforts. And that's been important. I think you know, there's this great quote, which is, if the meaning of life is to discover your gift, then the purpose of life is to give it away. Every one of us is on that journey and every one of us expresses good in our own way. But, but you know, it's a privilege to have that recognition and also have the opportunity to help wherever we can. Amazing stuff. And I wonder, you know, I quite often ask people who are in this position to identify and try to address some of those immediate needs. Lots of these things, especially the things that speak more to change that's required on a systemic level, are not within the gift of individuals or big corporates, even ones of, of scale and that have their hands in lots of different geographies. These are things that need to be done on a nation state level. And yet, you know, I made a sarcastic remark about UK fifth biggest economy for now, you know, things are tough, they're going to get tougher. There doesn't seem to be, you talked about the different kinds of poverty. I mean, there's a poverty of imagination in lots of the fixes. Do you have any confidence that we have the public servants to do that on that level? Or do we just have to maybe pivot and expect that actually meaningful solutions are going to come from people like you and the organisations that you're involved with? And that we can't look for now 
to people who really should be doing much, much, much better. When I said greater awareness does not equal greater understanding, in many ways what we have to do perhaps is create that level of both awareness and understanding in the individuals and groups that can have the biggest influence. So a lot of the time, you know, whether it's politicians or business leaders, simply genuinely aren't aware of the acute issues that are being suffered by children, families, individuals across the nation. And I'm very hopeful that once the people with that influence have that awareness and have that understanding, that they'll also have the empathy to drive the change to be of help. And I think the UK is clearly a remarkable, wonderful, incredible nation with so many incredibly smart, brilliant people. And harnessing that is the task, you know, one of the tasks of our time on behalf of so many communities so that we can improve the quality of people's lives and also improve the planet for future generations. We don't inherit the earth from our ancestors. We borrow it from our children. It's a great proverb. And that's what we have to be thinking about. We, we have to be putting in place the solutions now with a sense of urgency so future generations can benefit from that. And I think that's something we do have a responsibility towards. And I, again, I'm, I'm very hopeful that that's going to happen. Ajaz Ahmed, founder and CEO of AKQA. And you can learn more about the business by heading to akqa.com. And please do visit ajars.org to learn more about those vitally important philanthropic efforts. You're listening to The Entrepreneurs. Well, next up, we're flying over to Los Angeles. French firm L Acoustics is a fantastically progressive and innovative company, constantly striving to push the envelope in immersive sound design. A man who loves the sound of a great business story, see what I did there, is Monocle's own US editor, Chris Lord, and he joins me now. Uh, hello, Chris. You've been out and about for the programme, which is very exciting. What have you been up to? So, Tom, I went out to see a very interesting company called L Acoustics, which is originally a French company founded in 1984 by an entrepreneur and an inventor and a physicist called Christian Heil. And Heil is a very interesting character. He really set out to revolutionize live music and the experience of live music. Now, as an entrepreneurial story, it's very interesting because more than ever, the live music experience is so important to bands and they're trying to really define themselves in an industry where streaming is still so important. And so I went down to see their system that's increasingly being rolled out amongst lots of bands now. And what that does is it allows a very immersive experience. And as you're going to hear in a moment, you know, it really, it creates this very close, immediate feeling, just as if you were in a small room hearing that band right in front of you rather than in a large stadium context. Really, really interesting company, very entrepreneurially minded right now, given that, you know, we're embarking on a moment where live is going to be back with a bang. I think it's going to be a very interesting product and, and they are already working with some of the world's biggest bands, which we're going to hear in just a moment. <laughs> 
Well, let's take a listen to it, Chris. Uh, Here's what you found on your travels. Let's immerse ourselves in some truly immersive audio. Off we go. That's Bonnie Vare with their track, Holocene, a snippet from a 2021 performance at the YouTube Theatre here in Los Angeles. Live music has had a rocky few years, but now it's back with a bang. A recent Goldman Sachs forecast reckons that the industry will grow to about $38 billion by 2030. The broader music industry may be dominated by streaming services where bands compete for clicks, but the value of heading out on the road can't be underestimated. Artists and sound engineers are always looking for the best new way to leave an impression on their audiences. We're here in the ELISA Auditorium, and it's dedicated to our immersive technologies. Bonnie Ver were early adopters of an immersive three-dimensional sound system called ELISA. It's developed by French firm Elacoustics, and I went to their studio in Los Angeles to meet CEO Laurent Vizier. It means you have 18 channels of audio all around the room in a 360-degree setup. Sound will be all around you and envelop you, and it's in a way that um, creates a continuous soundscape all around you and not necessarily coming exactly from those speakers. And the idea behind Elisa is to take the live experience and go beyond stereo, which is what people are used to and experience today when, when you go to concerts or when you listen to you know, an album at home. But what you'll find and discover with Elisa is that we're taking that experience and creating a more natural, more intimate, more connected, multidimensional sound experience that is applied to live concerts. The question is, how do you bring the intimacy and presence of, say, an unplugged session in a backstreet jazz club to a stadium of thousands of people? Elacoustics thinks it has the answer. Elisa is the latest innovation by Christian Heil, a serial entrepreneur, inventor and physicist who founded Elacoustics in 1984. After attending stadium rock concerts in the late 70s, Heil saw an opportunity to do things better. Pink Floyd at the time actually was using already some level of immersive sound. And Christian was amazed by that, but, you know, thought that some things could be done better. He actually started a company in 84 in a farm next to Paris, about an hour south of Paris. And literally in his garage started building some speakers. It was really him getting to know a little bit about sound and how that worked. By the early 90s, he came up with this theory called Wavefront Sculptural Technology, WST, the physics approach of sound propagation. If you put two speakers close together the way it's done back in the 80s, you will create interference between those two points. Those interference will create peaks and valleys and essentially destroy the uniformity of the sound. He came up with a way to get the speakers in a line very close together using a device called a waveguide. And that was the first time that this was ever implemented in sound, and that's how the line array was invented. So today, you know, if you go to the Hollywood Bowl, if you go to any stadium, 
you will see, or any, any concert, you will see those line arrays. Which are these huge stacks of, of speakers? They'll be familiar to anybody who's been to a big rock concert or whatever. Exactly. They're curved in a J shape to match that wavefront. The audience experience all of a sudden, pretty much overnight, completely changed. And today, 100% of the tours and the festivals, virtually 100%, operate on this technology. What's fascinating about this story is that this company, in a sense, starts to look forward and think that the line array no longer is suitable for what people want ultimately from their experiences. Is that right? So line array is still the best tool as a loudspeaker. One of the trademark, I think, of acoustics and a success trade, I think, of every entrepreneur is when everybody's starting to tell you that, that you're doing a great job, you may start to question yourself. You need to challenge your own boundaries. You need to challenge the status quo. And that's what Christian and the team have been doing since day one. The main issue that Christian realized is that in a studio, you have your left and right speakers. You have your stereo at home because you're sitting on a couch comfortably like we are and, and you're in the sweet spot and you get this deep stereo image which gives you dimensionality. But in a concert, a minority of people actually sit in that sweet spot and that will limit the experience of the audience when they go to a concert. You lose that connection to the performance on stage because you will hear the sound coming from stage right when the performer is right in front of you. Your brain does not make that natural connection of what you hear is what you see. Elisa is a costly setup, but it has fans outside of music too. The firm is building systems for America's huge megachurches, for instance. It's snagging business from those on the conference circuit, looking to really sculpt their live experience. Jordan Tani, one of the engineers at El Acoustics, gave me a demo of Elisa in action. So this blue circle here represents one out of the 96 objects in Elisa. So I can move this across the space and pan's pretty straightforward. But when we want to pan between multiple speakers, that's when it becomes more of a challenge. And we can hear how seamless it is as we move this across with Elisa. But next, we'll go with distance. And this recreates something as if an instrument or a sound source is further away from you. And this means that their volume will be less and could also imply that their high frequencies will be roll off, maybe darker in tonality. We've also got width, which spreads out the sound source and makes it a wider sonic image. It's pretty subtle, but very effective. That's spread across multiple speakers. Then. Yes. And then now we can make it more pinpointed and accurate with less width. And we can imagine combining all of these in real time. In a matter of minutes, we've got a layout for our entire orchestra. We also have a patented 3D room engine, which is spatially aware reverb, depending on your actual loudspeaker design. So now we're in some kind of underground cellar, is that right? Correct. But we could easily go into more of a cathedral. And the sonic textures completely change the reverb times are different and these can all be recalled instantaneously, used for effects to match a particular song, or when we're talking about that connection, well, we can simply take it all away and you can focus in on the music or the voice, for example. Laurent, you came to this company in 2011 and 
on the wall in front of us is a photograph of the first concert that Odessa, the band Odessa, used the Elisa system. It was the first time, I think, the debut of the Elisa system internationally, just down the road from us here in Santa Barbara. What advice would you give about running with a product that is very experimental, that's new and possibly disruptive? We were not pushing a product. With Elisa, what we realized is we created a blank canvas for the artists to play the music the way they wanted. And once we understood that, we actually give them this tool, but we cannot make the decisions for them. They have to decide how do they want the music to be painted, if you want, on this soundscape. The way to communicate that was actually to the artist directly. And once we understood that, we had to just change a little bit the way we presented the technology to involve the creative people. So we're talking with Elisa, we're talking more or just as much to the artist and the music director and the artistic director. We designed the technology, but it's a tool that we put in their hands. There's something about this technology in a way that goes back to the idea of the individual performers in a room together with you, doesn't, isn't it? And that's sort of what spatial sound is doing. Do you see that in here? Do you see that, that sort of nostalgia for a previous time? There was an inversion in quality experience. Back in the 70s and the 80s, most people at home had a hi-fi system. They had a turntable and quality was great. Sound <laughs> quality was great. You would go to a concert you had these big stacks of speakers, ears were ringing, it was, it was not that great. Things shifted in the 2000s, 90s and 2000s when the MP3 came about, so the compression quality of the music. So we have a whole generation of people, you know, including me, who ended up listening to music you know, through MP3 and through reduced quality, while at the same time the concert experience was actually getting much better in terms of impact in terms of intelligibility, in terms of feeling overwhelmed by that powerful sound experience. And, and today, I think there is a shift back towards quality in terms of the way people want to listen to music. That's, you can see it's not uncommon for you know, young people to you know, spend 200 bucks on a pair of headphones or you know, AirPod Pros, which are small but better quality and higher resolution streaming. I wonder what you see coming up in the next few years as being these experiential parts of sound design. This is a true revolution, right? We can see it at home, as we, we said, with spatial audio. Our vision for this is that sound will be integrated as part of a living space of tomorrow. Whether it's watching a movie or you're playing a video game or you have you know, a sound bath or, or yoga, all those experiences can be combined in one flexible space and sound will be, we believe, integrated into the home the way lights are. Laurent Vizier, thank you so much for talking to Monocle24 and The Entrepreneurs. Thank you very much for having me. That was the CEO, Laurent Vizier, in conversation with Chris Lord, who was listening to that with us. Um, Chris, exciting stuff. Have you got any plans to hit the gig scene big time now to go and immerse yourself more deeply in audio? So the one thing I haven't done since I got here, Tom, is go to the Hollywood Bowl to see anything. I don't live too far from the Hollywood Bowl, so quite often at night I can hear the, I can actually hear them from my bed playing out, and it all sounds very good. So I do want to try and get involved with that. But when you hear the Eliza in action, which you heard just then in the package as I was in that immersive room, what is amazing about it is you really realise how 
much is lost in the traditional way that we go and see live music. And there's nothing wrong in a way with that, you know, that immediacy and that intensity that we would think of a big stack system of sound that can be one kind of experience. But when you've got that very precise immersive experience where you can you know you can really pinpoint individual instruments and players it's just a really fascinating product and i think you know i think a lot of bands now are really going to see the value of this in the next couple of years as live music roars back with a vengeance chris uh, always great to hear from you thanks for bringing us up to speed and if our listeners want to find out more they can do so they just need to head to l-acoustics.com And that is it for this episode of The Entrepreneurs. We'll be back at the same time next week. Do look out for Eureka, available every Friday in the meantime. The programme's produced by Laura Kramer, with mixing and editing by Jack Dewars. My thanks to them both, as ever. Listen again and find out more about The Entrepreneurs at monocle.com or follow us and catch up with the archive via your preferred podcast platform. To contact the team, drop me an email or get in touch with Laura at lrk at monocle.com. And don't forget, if you want to read more about better businesses, to subscribe to Monocle magazine. I'm Tom Edwards. Goodbye and thanks for listening to The Entrepreneurs. <laughs>